Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. So today's message is called The Heart of Scripture, and I want to ask a question as we get started. Do you believe the book of Genesis to be true? Do you believe the book of Genesis to be true? There's a lot of different speculations that people have about the book of Genesis. Some people believe that there's different um, contradictions. Some people believe, well, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but I don't believe that the world was created in seven days. And there's uh, some people say, I, I believe Jesus in the New Testament 100%, but Genesis, I kind of pick and choose what I believe in. Well, what I'm going to project to you guys today is that Genesis not only is so specific and detailed about um, some very uh, factual things, but it, it really reveals the heart of Scripture throughout the entire Bible. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, it says, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. The essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness of Jesus. And the reason I wanted to show a verse from the very last book of the Bible in Revelations to talk about the first book of the Bible uh, being Genesis is because this scripture right here says that the essence of prophecy is simply to reveal Jesus. If you've ever had questions or thoughts about what is right or what is wrong, maybe you thought about denominations or different religions, etc., that the Bible pretty much tells us that the essence of prophecy is anything that points to Jesus. Anything that, that paints a clearer image of God to you is true prophecy. Anything that doesn't point to Jesus, anything that doesn't point to Him, it is not from the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible's saying here. And... I want us to just start off. There, there's so many different things that we could look at in Genesis, but I want us to, to put, point out the heart of Scripture, starting with the right kind of worship. Look at your neighbor and say, the right kind of worship. I like how some of y'all said that with a smile on your face. It's the right kind of worship. And what, I feel like this is a question that, that people have a lot whenever they're trying to pursue God in their lives. You, maybe you can think back, or maybe that spot is right now. And yeah, so many questions like, well, is this the right way to do this? The, am I doing it right? Even just like how we're doing the fast, a lot of people ask, well, is this right to eat or is this right to not eat, or etc.? We always want to know if we're doing the right thing, if we're, we're doing it the right way. And I want us to look at the story of Cain and Abel. At, at first glance, the story seems kind of confusing but in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve. Wow, right? Can't believe that was in there. <laughs> First book of the Bible, and it's talking about sex. I can't believe that. And she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the, to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, 
the best portion of his firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And so, that's crazy. Um, So, what we're seeing here is this imagery where it seems like God's just kind of being a bully to Cain. Why isn't he accept his and not the other? And, and let me just point out here that when we read the scripture, we have no idea how much time has elapsed. We don't even know how much time has elapsed since uh, Cain and Abel were born from when they, when they were conceived. We don't know anything like that. And so this could have been hundreds of years that they were there. It could have been uh, half of that. The, the, Genesis gives some really clear depictions and it also gives a lot of vague details. But what we see here is that he was, they were obviously there long enough to, know, to learn how to cultivate ground. They, they had time to plant and harvest. So this is not just one day that this is happening. This is over periods of, of years going on. And Cain gives, it says, <clears throat> it says that Cain gives some of his crops to the Lord. He gave some of his crops as a gift to the Lord, but Abel gave the best portion of his firstborn lambs. So the first thing to point out is the intention, the, what, what is, uh, how, what is meaningful in what they're doing is that Cain is giving some of his crop while Abel is giving the very first of, uh, of his flock. Y'all get the difference? It, it, it's really easy to go over, but Cain is just kind of, it's almost like it, if we were to equate it to church today. Can't you see a difference from, uh, from someone that says tithes and gives 10% of their income, and as soon as they get their check, they, they, the first thing they do before paying bills even, or going, uh, putting gas in the car, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send 10% to the church to pay, pay my tithe. Versus someone that, that same church, same everything, and whenever they get paid, with some of what they get paid, they give $20 in the basket. Y'all get the difference? It, the amount doesn't really matter. It, it's the heart of it. it. Even if the person that was, that was tithing so diligently was giving less than the person that was just throwing in so much in the basket, the, the, t- the person that was just doing it diligently would be more meaningful than the person that even had a greater quantity. Y'all get what I'm saying? It, the heart of being the right way is it being important to you. Uh, of understanding that even in our giving, that that is a form of worship to God. And when we look more in Scripture, not just took, let's look outside of Genesis. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so we learn later that the way that they would offer sacrifices to God were through the sacrifices of animals. And so even before those laws were ever written out in in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, we're seeing that God is is uh, 
upholding them to that standard that, no, you're, you're given things that, that you're not supposed to be given. If it was a, it was a animal or whatever, then I would do it. Then it would be okay. And God is telling him, just do what's right. Stop trying to do it your way and do it my way. And if you look at our lives, don't we try to do that a lot? We try to manipulate what we believe God would want us to do or what we feel like. Uh, and when you really get down to the heart of the, those moments where we do that, we do things that are even unbiblical sometimes. Like if you've ever thought, well, uh, I really feel like I need to just focus on God myself with just me and God, so much so that I'm going to just stop going to church for a while. And it sounds right, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to just zero in and focus one-on-one with God. That will be more meaningful than just going to church. In a way, yeah, but you're doing it, you're manipulating almost like something that you want and mixing it with what you're saying that God apparently wants for you. And it doesn't even align with Scripture because the Bible says that never forsake the gathering of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the, the point I'm making is the right kind of worship is found in the, in the Bible. And we can find the, the, even just the idea of it being intentional, of it being important to you and not an afterthought. I think it's crazy that so many times we, we give God the doggy bag of our efforts at the end of the day is when we'll read the Bible. At the end of the day is when we'll make a little prayer. It's rare for people to say, no, the very first thing I want to give to God, it's usually like, no, when I'm so exhausted, I'm going to most likely fall asleep while praying or reading the Bible. That's, when I'm going to, that's what I'm going to give to God. And then people are surprised when they don't feel like a, a change in their life. Like, well, I don't feel like anything's changed. Well, I, usually my leftovers don't feed very many people. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So the right kind of worship, intentional, being important to you, diligent. Let's, you know, this leaves some, some ideas. It almost uh, leaves us with these unspoken obligations. Look at your neighbor and say, unspoken obligations. Because nowhere else do we see that God told Cain or Abel to, to make sacrifices of animals rather than plants, but yet... We, when we look through Genesis, it's almost like we're seeing all these unspoken obligations. Let, let's just look at the Great Flood, for example. It, it talks about these motions of obedience before they were ever made into laws. And when you look at uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth, and He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So, what, what's being described here is morality, morality, good and evil. This is before the Ten Commandments were ever made, before uh, any of these laws were made. And God is holding people to this standard that has been unspoken in the Bible of morality. So there's no way that we can look and see what the interaction with, with humanity was like between God and humans then. But as far as the Bible shows us, we, we don't really see very much. There's this unspoken obligation. And God is a just judge. We know that God is righteous, that he, he, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we have to know and believe that he's a better judge than we could ever be, right? He's the judge of the universe. He's definitely qualified. And so it, it shows us that there is an inner being within us that understands morality, is an inner being within us. And we see that in the Bible by what's going on here. It says that, that even all of their thoughts 
and everything that they imagined was consistently and totally evil. You know, that's like a background understanding of where, where sin happens. You notice that, uh, let's look at an adultery for an example. That, did you know that adultery just doesn't happen like out of nowhere? It's built up over time. It's, it's a consistent uh, thought. It's a consistent imagination of someone fa- fantasizing about what if. And eventually, the stars align and you just, the right person is at the right spot and it's the right time and it just kind of happens. That's, the majority of adultery happens like that. It's almost like they, it was an accident, but not really because they were thinking about it for the last three years. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so the Bible is showing us that in our thoughts and our imaginations that that's where wickedness really brews. And the fact that he has this standard of morality, it, we see these unspoken obligations all throughout the Bible, all throughout Genesis before everything, anything was ever mentioned. Another thing that we notice is this, this weird sense of trust uh, between God and man. As we're reading through Genesis, we're seeing these random acts uh, of people that seem to just trust God way more than everybody else. So much so that God chooses one man and his family to survive the flood. Why, why is it that this, this person is exceptionally more closer to God than the rest of the world? And it's because we're, we see this, this simple trust between God and man. This immense trust between God and man. And we, we see different things. Of I mean, imagine what it was like in those days before anything's written. I mean, you're really, they're really close to the beginning of time with, with their, you know, their great-great-grandfather being Adam and Eve, right? But at this point, we're, we're seeing them trust God so immensely that, that their actions show it. Their actions show it. And I want to look at um, even the simple idea that, of what Abraham does in Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 through 20. After Abraham returned from his victory over... Y'all are going to have to forgive me because some of these names are really whack. Keter Loomer and all his allies, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram, the Most High God, by Most High God, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all, his, all the goods that he had received, all that he had recovered. And again, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 20 through 22, this is Abraham's grandson, says, Then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And the memorial pillar I have set up will become a place of worshiping God, and I'll present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So with these two stories, I wanted to point them out because uh, it, it's the first instances that we see tithing in the Bible. Now, uh, let me just say this, that this, is not a, this whole sermon is not a ruse to try to make anybody start tithing. Uh, but the, the, what's meaningful about these two stories is that 
they both feel this unspoken obligation to give God a specific amount. It's weird it, that Abraham gives 10 percent and he gives uh, and then Jacob gives 10 percent as well. And, and both of them come with this agreement. It, both of them, it's right after Melchizedek blesses him and says uh, that he's going to that God's going to protect him and bless him, blah, blah, blah. And then we see with Jacob, it's so specific that he pretty much says, if God will surely protect me, if God will provide for all my needs, and if God will give me peace wherever I go, I'm going to give 10%. And it's, it's really weird that this, this exchange, because it's before any laws were ever written. And they set a precedent for the laws that were written later. Everything that were, was recorded in Leviticus and Deuteronomy is almost like they were just... Uh, shadows of what was done earlier on in the first steps of faith. And what uh, a preface to tithing in this story, I feel like this, this is these scriptures right here is what compelled me in my life to start tithing. It wasn't any, it wasn't even at church or anything like that. It was just like, it just made sense to me because what we see here is an exchange of trust. It's an exchange of trust. I mean, think about, what that really is. It's you're, you're believing that you're giving 10% of your income. Like you're literally giving it to the air. You, you're just believing that God sees that it, it's, it's an incredible act of faith because you don't, you don't get anything in return monetarily or, or it, you don't, it's not like you, you buy something. It's, you're just giving it away. It's a very selfless act of trust. And we see that this trust is so important between these, uh, these people of the Bible because Abraham is the father of, of all of our faith. And Jacob, this is right before he was named Israel. And we're just seeing that this simple action uh, uh, of their faith is, is a, the building of trust between them and God. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So talking about these actions of faith, trusting God, let's talk about the actions of faith of these unspoken obligations. Uh, let's look specifically at Abraham. It says in Genesis chapter 12, verse one through four, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your nation, your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. So again, this is another story that if we just read through it, it seems just like a simple little action. I want to just ask you right now, tomorrow, is anyone here prepared to just get up and move? Is anyone here just... Just go, just go. Don't even look back. Just start walking. Just get in your car and start driving. Don't even look at your bank account. No one here is prepared to do that. Even if, even if we were to say, well, let's wait a month and then go. That would still be really intimidating. Even if we were to plan it out an entire year, we'd still be so stressed out thinking, well, where am I going to live? What if I can't find an apartment? What if I can't find a home? What if I can't find a job? And, and we'd be so stressed out thinking, what's going to happen? Now think about it for this guy. I mean, this isn't a time where like, I mean, I don't know if they're on a camel or what, but they're just walking. They're just, 
they're just traveling along. If there was just some, some guys that didn't have any positive thoughts, they could have just been killed as they were traveling. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, why don't you just take the Via bus to downtown and, you know, just take it and just the, the simple action of traveling somewhere, you're, you're risking your own safety. And so for Abraham to, to go through with this on what really seems like a bogus promise, I'm going to just make you famous and everything good is going to happen to you. I mean, imagine how he's explaining this to his family members. <laughs> I bet they had some, some critical thoughts about him after that. Who do you think you are? <laughs> and yet, we see that Abram completely trusts God and, and, and takes this step of faith. And see, so many of us, we, we think that faith is just doing something good. But in Genesis, we see that faith is so much more than just being morally right or morally good. That it, it's going beyond that. Faith is, is doing some, some things that you may not even understand, but you, but you trust God. One thing that I feel that really makes me admire Abraham is this part where it says that he took Lot with him. It says, it says leave all of your relatives, and yet Lot goes with him. And at first, you know, it's, again, it's something we could just glance over. We could say, well, maybe Abraham just couldn't let him go. Maybe Lot just didn't want Abraham to leave and he followed like, you know, in a distance. But right before these verses in chapter 11, verse 27 through 28, it says, this is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the father of Lot, but Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. And so what we learn right before this verse is that Lot was an orphan. That Lot didn't have anybody. I mean, he, he had his other relatives, but I can only imagine what the relationship was like because when Abraham was going to leave, Lot felt so compelled to go with him because he must have thought, I have nobody else. And what's meaningful about this part of the story is that God says in, in throughout the rest of the Bible, we're just looking at Genesis. We learn later that God says that he is a father to the orphan. He's a father to the fatherless. And so when we look at Abraham and we see all these different things that he's doing, he's, it's not that he's just doing them random. It's, it's that he's so connected to God's heart that he's, he's just doing what he already knows God wants him to do. And so often we conflict our minds and convince ourselves that we just have no idea what God wants when He's already spoken to our hearts. You ever felt those nudges to do something, but you talked yourself out of doing it because you convinced yourself that you don't know if it was God or not? I mean, I'm sure that was like Abraham right here, but he just said, well, I just need to do this. And it was an act of faith. I mean, he, think about the biggest move of his life the biggest change he's ever going to experience, and this kid wants to come too. That's another mouth he's going to have to feed. That's another person he's going to have to worry about and be responsible for. He was already stressed out enough worrying about his own family. Now he's having to add to it. But Abraham says, yeah, you're coming with me. You don't have to worry. And I bet Lot was saying, well, are you sure? I mean, did God tell you not to bring me? And 
Abraham just said, no, it's all right. I know God would want me to take you. We get so lost in the, compli- the, the complicated parts. We make simple things complicated. And we start thinking that, that these little details are so important. But, but God is showing us in Genesis that it's not about the letter. It's not about crossing the T's and dotting the I's, but it's about the heart. It's about the heart. And what I think is so powerful is that even with this little story with Lot, we see God's redemption. That even though his father was taken from him, he gained a new father. But we see throughout Genesis consistent signs of redemption. Consistent signs of redemption. Redemption didn't just start at the cross with Jesus. Like one day God was up in heaven and thought, you know what, this is enough. I'm going to just have to handle this myself. I'm going to just have to get my hands dirty. I'm going to have to just go and Jesus is going to have to die on the cross and finally to redeem these people. In Genesis, we consistently see people redeemed by God himself. Even all the way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, it says, this is after Adam and Eve already sinned in the garden. It says, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. It says that the Lord God made animal skins for Adam and his wife. God made animal skins for Adam and his wife. Before they were clothed with those you know, fig leaves or whatever, they ate from the garden, they realized they were naked, and they were about to get sent out of the garden into harsh elements of the world. It's no longer going to just be a little paradise spot. Now you're going to have to live outside of here. You're going to have to work and do all that. And it says that God gave them animal skins to cover them. Doesn't that imply that, that animals would have had to die? And remember, in Hebrews it said that there, can't be, there can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And that's why all of Israel, they would make these animal sacrifices to transfer their sins and make these guilt offerings. We see that God himself makes the first offering for mankind. That he, whatever animal it was, that he made the sacrifice for them because of things that, that are beyond our understanding of how eternity works. We just know that there can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And God himself makes the sacrifice for Adam and Eve. And he covers them. Is that not God's heart? That he makes a way for us when we feel like there is no way? The fact that he does it himself instead of making Adam and Eve do it. I mean, imagine making the first killing of all of history. I mean, Adam and Eve, it didn't say how long they were in the garden before they, they sinned and ate of this tree. I mean, if you've ever had a dog, you know that there's just a weird bond that forms with you and animals. If you've ever had a cat, and imagine these, they're... they're they named every single animal there. There's a close bond with them. And now, all of a sudden, they realize that there can be no, shedding, there can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Meaning that either they're going to have to be killed or one of these animals are going to have to take their place. Now, I can imagine the heartbreak that they felt, the guilt of knowing, man, this is all my fault. I'm going ha- to have to 
do this to this animal has been nothing but like a best friend to me. And God himself says, I'll do it for you. I know that it's too much for you to bear. And so I'm going to do it for you. And God consistently shows himself as covering people. Yet it's almost like in our culture, we, we have this idea that God is just ready to slam dunk us to hell. That if we, if we, if we don't do everything just perfect, that God's like, I knew it and wants to kill us. But here, even in the greatest sin of mankind that let sin enter into all of our DNA, God wasn't so ready and quick to wanting to destroy them, but he said, I'm going to make another way for you guys. It's going to take some time, but I'm going to make a way and I will cover you. I will cover up this mistake. You don't have to constantly think about it. It makes me think of the idea of of when you give your life to Christ, there's a term called being born again. It's because when you when you when people have this this realization of God's love for them, this interaction between them and God, when you surrender your heart to him, it's almost like you literally feel like a new person. You feel like you can't even recognize yourself from your past because you just have this this new being within you. And even in even in John chapter 3 verse 3 there's a person asking Jesus about what this means his name's Nicodemus and Jesus tells him I tell you the truth unless you are born again you cannot see the kingdom of God that's where that term being born again comes from it's this idea you just that you just made a new creation well where do we see that in the in Genesis, think about all the, the name changes that have happened in Genesis. When you read through it, you see that God, for some reason, has this thing about naming people different than what they were originally named. Abram was turned to Abraham. Jacob was turned to Israel. Even in the New Testament, Peter, his original name was Simon before Jesus named it to Peter. Paul's original name was Saul. See, even in Genesis, we can see the heart of Scripture pointing to this idea of redemption, even the idea of being born again, that even their names are changed to show the power and symbolism behind it. And I want us all to to pray today. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And, And as we've been going through Genesis, trying to understand the heart of God. We're, we're, we talked about this idea of having the right kind of worship. We talked about trusting God and that even in our hearts, we have this unspoken obligation. And we talked about God's redemption consistently seen. And maybe you're here right now and you realize that you've not had that born again moment with God. There's not a point of time that you can look at to where you say it was this day, this moment. that I know that my life was changed. And if you're here today 
and, and you're ready to have that moment, with every eye closed and head bowed, I want you to just raise your hand. You're ready to put your trust in Christ. Amen. So what I want you to do, if, if you rose your hand, if you wanted to, I want you to pray this prayer as an affirmation of your faith so that this could be that moment for you. And if you've already given your life to Christ and you've had that moment, I want you to pray this prayer too as a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. I want to be a new creation that has the heart of God. I believe, Jesus, that you died for me on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And that that action paid for my sins. I can only have forgiveness through you. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul. In Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.